You're listening to audio from Restoration Church. If you enjoyed the message and would like to get connected with our church, follow us on social media at Restoration Cambridge and our website, restoration-church.ca. Send us a message. We would love to hear from you. We're, we're in the second week of our series on, uh, on work, and... Uh, Aaron started us off. We're going to be looking at work throughout the, uh, throughout the summer. This week, I am looking at the topic of what went wrong. Uh, you know, well, let me tell you about my work experience. Maybe that's the best way to start. So my, my working experience, it started when I was around, you know, I, I can't remember exactly, but I probably was around 12. And I had a friend, my best friend, his dad owned a pottery business. I won't name it. Um, because you might know it. Um, and he owned a pottery business, was in their basement, and I cannot believe the amount of stuff they had down there, but they, it was like a full-on business, and there was, you know, a number of people working there. And so, you know, he said, yeah, come work my, you know, you can work at the pottery business. So I got there, got oriented, and uh, uh, his father says to me, I want you to do this, this thing here where you're going to take these molds and you're going to cut the clay around the top, and uh, I think it was actually making mugs for Oktoberfest for Kitchener here. And, and so I was, you know, I, and I goofed it up and, and, I, and I wrecked, it, you know, two or three mugs in a row. And, and I was like, man, I don't know. So I asked my friend, you know, how, how do I do this? And he showed me, and he's like whipping around with the knife. And I'm like, I don't think I can do that. But anyways, I tr- you know, he said, I ah, forget that. Just, just come here, I'll show you something. He said, look, just take this clay here that's kind of wrecked kind of the stuff that you just wrecked and throw it in this crusher and and it'll crush the clay up and then we can use it again right so I'm I'm working away like this and his dad comes along and goes what are you doing Colin I go well I'm just you know working the crusher well who told you to do that I, I said well Cam told me to then he goes you don't work for Cam you work for me get out so my first job lasted less than a couple of hours and I was unceremoniously fired and uh, really it was no fault of my own I was just you know I, I didn't know Cam wasn't in charge it was his dad um, anyways you know not a great start to my working career you know and then boom 48 years goes by and I've worked most of my lifetime most of all of that time I've had a job one job or another some good, some bad. And here's what I've learned. I'm going to give you the wisdom of my work, okay? First, work occupies a lot of our time and a lot of our thinking. That's number one. And secondly, even though it occupies a lot of that time and a lot of of effort, not one job have I had in the last 48 years that in and of itself has filled my soul to any degree. Meaningful work has never been the answer to the big questions in life. It's never provided me with any lasting satisfaction deep down in my heart. But I've sure spent a lot of time thinking about it. And I know that there's some people out there and they'll say, oh yeah, that's your job experience calling, I hear you. But you know what? My job fills me up. I like work. I, I, I like what I'm doing. And 
you know, here's the thing. Work does not have any lasting value in and of itself. You could have the absolute best job in the world. And I was trying to think of what that would be, and I, I, I couldn't think of what that would be. You know, I don't know, potato chip taster? You know, like, I, I don't know what that would be, but at the end of the day, no matter how good that job is that you have, your company is going to no longer require your services, and they're going to package you out. Or you're going to retire, or you're going to, you know, or something's going to happen, you're going to become incapacitated, and you won't be able to work anymore. And all of that time and all of that effort is going to be in the rearview mirror. On the flip side of having a great job satisfaction, of course, is job dissatisfaction, right? That's, that's something that's a big thing in our day. You know, we hear about the mass uh, uh, resignation that's happening. Um, you know, maybe you're not working in the, in the, the field that you went to school for, or, Oh, maybe you never really finished school, you know, and you're in a dead-end job with no chance of advancement. Your boss is an idiot. You know, your co-workers are backstabbers. You know, your workplace is toxic. You're underutilized, overqualified, underpaid, overworked. You know, to sum up your work experience, it's a grind. And to me, these two sort of opposite flip sides of the coin, they raised two questions for me. The first one is, why is job satisfaction so important to us? That's number one. And number two, why is it so elusive? So what I wanted to do is I wanted to go back right to the very beginning, right back to where it all started to answer these questions, back to Genesis, back to creation, to examine the origin of work, to see what did God have in mind and how does it line up with our view of work today? So if you'll turn with me to Genesis chapter 1, we're going to flip around a little bit, and we're going to actually read quite a bit of Scripture today, because that's the important thing. You know, I'm just giving you a little bit of commentary on what is actually here, but what we're reading here in God's Word, that's the important thing. So before we do that, let's just pray. Let's ask God to, uh, to guide our thinking and our, uh, and our uh, words. Lord, we, we want to know what you have to say. We want to know what your word says to us. We want to know how to understand it. We want to know how to apply it. And we want to know how to live by it. So would you help us this morning as we look into your word? Would you give us insight? And would you help us, Lord, to align our lives with what your word says? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the, of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, and over the earth, and over every living creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female, he created them, and God blessed them, and said to them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Over to chapter 2, 
let's look down at verse 5. It says this, When no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. Down to verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. So the first thing I would say, first phrase I'll give you is image bearers, okay? I'd like us to focus on that, on that phrase where God says, let us create man in our image and after our likeness. Now, there's a lot of ways we can go when we get to Genesis to talk about work. And there's, uh, you know, there's a lot of different things and a lot of different things we can focus on. Dominion and rule and what does it mean to subdue the earth and, you know, working the ground. You know, I work in an office. How does that relate? You know, what, what you know, how do we understand all of these things? But I want to, I want to hone right in on that. What does it mean to have the image of God And last week, Aaron referred to that passage, and I have to tell you that when things like that happen, I go, like I get this sick feeling in my stomach as I'm going, man, he's gonna gonna steal my sermon, you know? He's He's gonna pull the rug out from underneath me, and, or worse, he's gonna say something completely, you know, out there, and I'm gonna have to correct it, or... Uh, you know, or, or set the record straight. But, you know, I should have more faith in God, you know, I mean, and more faith in my brother, because he really does try to uh, handle the word of God accurately. So I wasn't, uh, in the end, I wasn't too worried, because uh, this is what he said. He said, our work looks like God's work. We're not God. We instead, we are instead a visual representation of God on the earth, showing This is what God is like. This is what God cares about. This is how he works. Therefore, our work should look the same. Well, I think that's good. So I just want to build on that. What does it mean to be created in the image of God? And, you know, many things have been said about what it means to be created in the image of God. There is, you know, is there certain qualities and characteristics that we possess you know, is it the fact that, that, that humans are moral, intelligent, capable of rational thought? We have the capacity for self-awareness, for self-reflective uh, consciousness. And the more I looked at this, the more I found out that it's not really about a characteristic that we have or something that we're capable of doing It has to do with relationship. Man was created sufficiently in the image of God that he could have a relationship with him. There is a particular and distinct relationship that God has only with man that is unique in the context of all creation. We see this in the text, that God talked to them and they understood, and they responded. To be created in the image of God is to be made for relationship, to love, to be loved, and to interact with the God who created us. Life is a gift from God. God didn't really need to create humans. God is all-sufficient in himself. Within God, within the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, 
There is love in community. And God is completely self-sufficient. That term that he uses when he says to Moses, when Moses says, well, who do I, who do I tell the people who, uh, who sent me? And he, he says, tell them I am. And that statement, I am, means that God is self-sufficient. He does not need us. Yet, he created humans in his image because he delights to have a relationship with them. This puts work into the proper perspective, right? Man was given responsibility to work the garden in cooperation and in loving relationship with God. Man was created with a unique relationship to God and they were given spiritual, or, or they were given responsibility and were capable of exercising authority, but only as royal stewards, only as representatives of God on earth, which they understood only through the relationship that they had with him. Work was never the main thing. Work has never been the main thing. It's interesting, I, I, I was, it immediately made my mind go to a, uh, everybody know who Jordan Peterson is? Jordan Peterson is, he's quite a interesting guy, and, I, and I've been watching his faith journey, and, he, and if he's not a Christian, he sounds very, very close to becoming a, a Christian and a follower of Jesus, but he was having a conversation with a journalist and it was a woman, uh, uh, you know, obviously quite a successful woman. And he was saying this, and this is how the conversation went. He said, young women are being taught badly that the most important thing that they can do with their life is their career. And that is simply not true. And then the interviewer challenged him, and it was very quite polite. She wasn't just, she didn't just interrupt him and start talking over him. She asked him, she said, well, you know, I have had a very successful career. I have focused a lot of my attention on my career. This is sort of paraphrasing here, but, you know, and, um, and it's been quite fulfilling for me. And I look at my friends who have kids and they don't have the same opportunities that I have. And I'm, I'm almost thankful that I don't have children at this point. And how would you respond to that is what she said. And, and in a very calm way, I love the way he responds. He never, he's never rude, and he was very quite, um, uh, I just thought his response was really good. And he, says, he said, you know, here's how I would respond. It starts to get lonely after 45 if you don't have family in your life. And he goes on to talk about the fact that, you know, family and familial relationships are, are really important in the context of life because, you know, work, you know, if you think you're going to live, you know, and he said 90 years, boy, that's a long time. You know, it seems like a long time, but, you know, in the, in the course of that work is, is only a portion of it and family becomes more and more important. You say, hey, I've had a really successful career. I've been a really, um, you know, I've been all over the world and, and done all of these things and, and family's becoming more important to me. You see, God created us for relationship family relationships, uh, friendships with co-workers, friends, uh, people that we come in contact, but our primary relationship is what we should have with him. We can only understand what it means to be created in the image of God through our direct relationship with him. For Adam and Eve, that meant walking with God in fellowship with him, enjoying the gifts that he'd given to them in the garden, including work, 
But there was also a responsibility to that. There was, there was instructions and restrictions that God had placed on them. In verse 15 of chapter 2, it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Edom to work it and to keep it. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for on the day you eat of it you shall surely die. As long as they walked in relationship and obedience, there was freedom. They were caring for the garden, enjoying the, the fruits of the garden. And in verse 25, it says that the man and his wife were both naked and they were not ashamed. There was no shame in it. Everything was perfect, but not for long. And it reminds me, I don't know, it's just been ringing around in my head this week. It reminds me of the Joni Mitchell song that says, don't it always seem to go that you don't know what you got till it's gone? You paved paradise. No, sorry. <laughs> I, won't, I won't do that. <laughs> Anyways, but you know what? They, they didn't know that they had it so good. We pick up the story in Genesis chapter 3, and I am going to call on my lovely assistant, Ruth, to read for us the entire chapter. You know, I thought of paraphrasing, and I'm like, you know, let's just read the Word of God if you don't remember anything else. You'll, we'll have gone away having read the, the Word of God, and so Ruth's going to read for us uh, Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You'll not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit, and she ate, and she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. And then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. And then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock 
and above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat, and all the days of your life I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. And then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever, therefore the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Thank you, Ruth. It's quite a story. I'm going to call this part the curse. So we have image bearers, now we have the curse. That act of disobedience, rejection, and rebellion against God had massive... (laughs) Sorry, Uh, for those who don't know, there's this thing that goes off here, and I don't know exactly what it is, but it... uh, it's quite distracting. <laughs> Sorry. That act of, uh, of disobedience, rejection, and rebellion against God had massive repercussions for humans. <clears throat> it's the origin of all man's problems. Sin, suffering, and death. <clears throat> God created the world good and perfect, and man spoiled it through disobedience. Aren't we a little off topic here, uh, Colin? I thought we were supposed to be talking about work. (laughs) What does this have to do with work? Well, everything, it has everything to do with work. But I just want you to notice kind of four things here that happened in the garden after man had sinned. The first thing is that man's intimate relationship with God was broken. Secondly, man was expelled from the garden Third, work had just got a little bit harder. And four, death became a reality. Now, there's other things, and I don't, you know, please don't come up to me after and say, you know, it's why women are afraid of snakes. You know, like, <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's not the point I'm trying to make here. Um, after they violated God's instructions, God comes walking in the garden in the cool of the day, And I just want to point out something here that that God wasn't surprised by the fact that man had disobeyed. In fact, God knew it was going to happen. So it's not like God's coming along and he's going, hey, where are you? You know, what's going on? God knew what had happened. God knows all things. 
And when they heard the, the voice of the Lord God coming, they were afraid and they were ashamed. That wonderful, perfect relationship that they, that they enjoyed was now broken. And God expelled them from the garden, the place of ultimate creativity and fulfillment, the place where man experienced work as it was intended to be. Man would never again enjoy work on earth the same way. That was lost. And not only that, God cursed the ground. Man's sin affected everything, including nature. Now instead of enjoying paradise, man's going to struggle to eat, battling thorns and thistles. And they'd find working the ground was going to be harsh and physically demanding. Now I'm an amateur gardener. I call myself a messy gardener because I don't really like pulling weeds. So if I, you know, eventually the, the weeds get taller than the tomato plants and then I have to pull the weeds. But <clears throat> if you know anything, you can't grow food now. You can't do anything. Thorns and thistles and hard work are all part of it now. Do you know why work can seem such, like, such a grind? It's the curse of sin. And sin doesn't just make work a grind. With sin comes death. We're not only under the curse of thorns and thistles, we're under the curse of death. Nobody gets out of here alive. Prior to this, work was healthy, work was good, work was a celebration of the enjoyment of all the good gifts that God had created and given in the garden. The relationship with God gave them that perfect perspective. Adam and Eve were able to enjoy everything clearly in the context of their relationship with God. In other words, they weren't looking to the garden, nor were they looking, nor were they pure, preoccupied with work as a way to fulfill them. Their eyes were on the Creator God. He was the sustainer. He's the one who filled them up. He's the one that met all of their needs. Sin despoiled that. Sin ruined that relationship and distorted that perfect perspective. And every day since then, Man has been trying to get back to that place. And this is why we as a culture have such a distorted view of work. We're trying to find what was lost through sin. We're trying to find what was lost when sin caused a broken relationship between God and man. It's why we put so much emphasis on on trying to find the right career. I mean, we start grooming our kids really young. You know, what do you want to be when you grow up? What are you going to do? You've got to go to the right school. You've got to get this. You've got to get that. You've got to do this. You've got to put all your pieces in place. We're trying to find what we lost. We're trying to find, we're trying to fill up in our lives something that was broken. And that was the relationship that you had with God. And it's not just work. I mean, it's all kinds of things. I mean, if you, if you can't find the job that you want, you really just want to make enough money so that you can buy the things that you hope are going to fill up your life and fill the void that was left when the relationship with God was broken. Work will never be a substitute for the relationship with God because we weren't created to work. We were created in the image of God. Uniquely created to be in a relationship with him. So stop trying to use work as a means to fill up what's missing in your life. 
it's not going to help. It's not going to work for you. We need to seek a deeper relationship with God. So we have image bearers that have fallen. So the third thing we have is redemption. Not only did God know that man was going to sin and break the relationship with him, he had already pre-planned what he was going to do when that happened. God wasn't taken by surprise. And as I mentioned earlier, you know, he, 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 he didn't sort of, it didn't sort of, oh, what do I do now, right? He had a plan in place. We see that from verse 15 in chapter 3. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. That he that he's referring to there, that God is referring to there, is none other than Jesus. And while Satan would get some shots in, you will strike his heel. And we see that as the cross and the suffering of Christ. Ultimately, Jesus defeats Satan and will defeat Satan and defeat death. And he will restore man to what they've lost. Through one man, Adam, the relationship was lost. And through Jesus, the relationship is restored. It's restored for everyone who believes in him and everyone who places their trust in the saving work for his sacrifice on the cross. Now, I want to be very clear here that there is a um, heresy that goes around that if you just ask Jesus into your heart, you'll be saved. Kind of your get-out-of-jail-free card. And that is a distortion and a gross misrepresentation of the gospel. Yes, Jesus saves us from the curse of eternal death, but death is defined as separation from God. Death is defined as being out of relationship with God. When we come to God through Jesus, we are saying, I don't want to live outside of the relationship with you. I know that I've sinned and I need cleansing and forgiveness, so I want to walk in the new life that you give me. And we're restored to relationship with God. The Bible doesn't contemplate a scenario where followers of Jesus walk outside of a relationship with him. Either you're in a relationship with God or you're not. There's no some sort of quasi-Christian experience, some half measure where people who have accepted Jesus as their Savior but don't live in relationship with him. That's not even contemplated in the Bible. That's not even a concept. I've never found it. You know, if you want to correct me, just show me chapter and verse. It's all about our relationship with him. So what does that mean for us? Well, I think we need to examine ourselves as image bearers. You know, why is job satisfaction so important to me? Why is, why is it that I have to find what was lost when that relationship with God was lost? Why am I looking for that elsewhere other than in Jesus? And on the flip side of the coin, if your work is a grind and you're saying, man, I just can't stand this place anymore, is it because possibly that you're out of relationship with God? 
that you're not living uh, in communion with him in such a way that you begin to see work and your work and the place that God has put you as a place where you can live out your relationship with him. So, going back to the original question, you know, why is work satisfaction so important to us? It's because we're trying to find the relationship that we lost. And why is it so hard to find? Again, because of the relationship that was lost. And so you're here this morning and you, in, in, you know, and I hope this is a springboard and a foundation because the foundation for work is built on the relationship that we have with God. I don't really know how else to say about it. That is the truth of the matter. And from that, from that relationship, we will get everything that we need and work will be seen in a whole different light. It will be seen in a, as, a, as a way of honoring the relationship that we have with the Lord in the context of our day-to-day lives. Let's pray. Lord, we, uh, we thank you for your word. And we're just so grateful that you had a plan. You had a plan to restore us through the Lord Jesus. We're thankful for the work that he did on the cross. We know that he is the one who saves. We know that he is the one who restores. And we know that he is the one who brings us back into full relationship with you. And so we gratefully say thank you, Lord. May we live our lives in such a way as to honor that. And we pray this in Christ's name.